Welcome to the Unconventional Path, entrepreneurship and innovation stories and ideas. Hello, I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Today, we are excited to be joined by Michael Zapersky. Michael is a serial entrepreneur, starting his first business while still a student. On several occasions, Michael has partnered with his cousin, and they have recently founded and run Consulting Success, a company designed to help consultants build and grow their business. This is a cool interview, Bela, but before we begin, we'd like to share with you that our podcast is brought to you in part by the law firm of Phillips Lytle LLP. This is a sponsorship that makes a lot of sense to us. Bela, you know this firm well, don't you? I sure do. I have worked with the key entrepreneurship partners at Phillips Lytle for over 20 years. Their attorneys take an entrepreneurial approach to legal matters, and they have a long history of success with startups. We thank Phillips Lytle for their support of the entrepreneurial community and their sponsorship of the Unconventional Path podcast. Thanks, Bela. And with that, let's move to the interview with Michael Zapersky. Hello, folks. Today, I'm here with Michael Zapersky. Uh, he's an entrepreneur's entrepreneur and uh, has built several businesses and is very successful. Uh, and I think we're going to have a fabulous uh, conversation today. Welcome to the show, Michael. Hey, great to be with you, Bela. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So uh, let me ask you a question. If you are at a social event and uh, you go up and introduce yourself to somebody and they ask you what you do, how do you answer that question? Yeah, so we help consultants to grow their consulting businesses. We do that through uh, marketing and helping to uh, develop uh, marketing systems that attract their ideal clients consistently. We help them with their messaging, with their clarity around their ideal clients and their specialization, <clears throat> and really how to package and position uh, and price their services effectively. So you're a consultant's consultant. I've been called that many times, yes. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I mean that in a good way. <laughs> and uh, where are you uh, geographically right now? Uh, so right now I'm in Vancouver, Canada. Oh, okay. Very nice. Uh, and uh, where are you from originally? Born in Toronto. Um, when I was two years old, my parents took my sister and I and uh, lugged us over to Israel. So I spent from uh, age two to six and a half in Israel. And then uh, they decided to come back to North America, this time to Vancouver. Uh, and so at about six and a half, I landed in Vancouver, didn't speak English, didn't know anyone, uh, felt like an outsider and, uh, you know, kind of continued to, to figure things out from there. Yeah. Oh, well, excellent. Is there a, a sort of, uh, uh, so take me through the path. you six years old, you land in Vancouver, sort of walk me through the next uh, five or 10 years. Yeah, definitely. So my, you know, between six and a half and, and call it even um, most of high school, my whole life was sports. Uh, I think, you know, the big thing for me was uh, I came back, as I mentioned, um, you know, didn't know anyone, didn't speak the language. Uh, and I, I wanted to find a way to fit in. And so or to at least make my mark and to uh, to kind of, you know, um, be known for something. Uh, and for me, that was sports. So I was very focused on, um, you know, just doing all kinds of sports from baseball to rugby to track and field. Uh, I was very competitive uh, at the high school level in track and field and shot put, discus and, and javelin. Uh, I actually competed against um, someone as one guy I could never beat. I was a city champion um, and went to the state kind of province level. But the one guy I could never beat, his name was Dylan Armstrong, and he won a, a bronze at the uh, Beijing Olympics. So um, that's kind of my claim to fame from the sports perspective. But yeah, my, my whole life, Bella, was all about sports, 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 until when I was uh, halfway through high school, I went on a trip to Thailand. Uh, and it just, I had a cultural you know, kind of uh, awakening, if, if you could call it that. Um, and I just recognized that the the world was was vast. Uh, I've always had an appreciation for different cultures and languages and religions and people. But that trip when I was about 16 years old going to Thailand just really opened up my eyes. And I came back uh, and my life shifted from a focus on sports to one really around uh, arts and uh, and music. And that kind of takes us to um, I guess nearing the end of high school, and as soon as I uh, left high school, I started my first business with my cousin Sam. Um, and now, you know, many years later, a couple decades later or so, uh, we've we've built and sold uh, multiple businesses and uh, haven't really looked back. Yeah. So, is there sort of an entrepreneurial streak in your family, parents, or whatever? Not at all. Uh, my father was a doctor before he retired. My mother was uh, a teacher. 
Uh, and the, the entrepreneurial side, you know, if, if any came in from my stepfather, my parents got divorced just after coming back from, from Israel. I think that was also for me, one of these things where, uh, you know, I just, I needed a channel to kind of put my energy towards and frustrations and so forth at that age. But, uh, yeah, from an entrepreneurial perspective, just my stepfather, he was an entrepreneur through and through, uh, I worked at his, uh, one of his electronic stores when I was young. And so I, from a very young age, I was working different types of jobs. Uh, but no, there's no kind of built in entrepreneurial background running through, you know, the DNA or, or veins. However, my, my grandfather was actually a butcher, um, in Winnipeg. Uh, so I'm not sure how much that played into, you know, me becoming who I am from an entrepreneur perspective. Uh, but I didn't grow up in an entrepreneurial household for, you know, most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the first business you started? Uh, it was called Fingertip Media, and it was a web design development company. This is kind of the early days of, of websites, uh, and my cousin and business partner, Sam, uh, was the design, the creative guy. I was more the communications, the strategy, the client uh, interaction guy. And so, uh, yeah, we worked with lots of different types of businesses, from professional services firms to to retail uh, stores, developing websites for them. And that really just kind of gave us our first taste of entrepreneurship and of a client facing business. Um, and, uh, you know, we did that for several years. It was a nice kind of side thing for, for some young guys and we made some money and, uh, and got great experience, but that really helped us to launch our next business, which was called Kanke culture. Uh, Kanke is a Japanese word for relationship. Uh, we've always been very focused on, uh, the importance of relationships in business. Uh, and growing up in Vancouver, there's a very big, uh, Asian influence. And as I mentioned, I've always been interested in, in cultures. And so from, uh, even the high school kind of years, I started studying Japanese and was always interested in, you know, going to Japan or the samurai and, you know, just the traditions and, and level of respect that, that a lot of Asian cultures have. And so we started this company called Kanke culture where we worked with a lot of, um, businesses again in many different fields but just after um high school i guess in my second well third year um, of university i actually went over to japan opened up a branch office for our company there and we went on to work with um many billion dollar organizations like panasonic and dow jones and financial times um omron and a whole bunch of others uh, kind of in the b2b space helping them to communicate their message and to develop their brands uh for english-speaking markets oh wow so uh what did you study at university? Uh, so my, I did a, a two-year program to start at a college, and that was an Asian business program. So it was Pacific um, Rim Studies, I think, but if that's if I remember the name, that's what it was called. Um, and it was really meant to be all about the geography, the history, the culture, the languages of, of the Pacific Rim. Uh, but one thing that I learned early on is that I, I had a, a real interest in in business, in commerce, uh, and so uh, myself and one other friend uh, proceeded to to talk to the dean of the program and say, listen, uh, we don't want to only study history and, and so forth. Like we really have an interest in in business and uh, we would like to take more business classes, which was not allowed as part of the program. And so he said, well, if you go off and you come back and you give me a good enough reason, I'll consider it. And so. You know, I remember getting my mom's help to to write a letter and, and craft it because I wasn't gifted with words. Um, but, you know, we ended up convincing him to to change the program for us. And so we were able to take classes in international law and marketing and economics and a whole bunch of other business related focuses. So the the program ended up, ended up becoming Pacific Rim Business Studies. Uh, and then when I went into the University of British Columbia, UBC, as a third year student, uh, I, I was in the um, the Asian Studies program, uh, but with a minor in commerce. So it was the same thing over and over. It was it was Asian Studies, but with uh, with business, with marketing, with law, uh, and then as I mentioned, I did a, a third year exchange program in Japan, which is when I also launched uh, and opened up our our branch office over there. Came back to finish my degree but did not want to be in university, wanted to get right back to Japan. So as soon as I finished it, went right back to Japan, spent the next five, six years there building the business. Oh, wow. And what was the uh, time frame of this? What year, years was this? Um, so this is now going back about 20 or so years. Okay, so it's in the late 1990s, uh, early uh, 2000s? Correct, yep. that's right. Okay. Um, so my recollection, uh, I spent a little bit of time in Japan, uh, uh, probably 10 years prior to you, and uh, at that time, in order to do business in Japan, you had to have a local partner. Was it still the case? So uh, yes and no. Uh, it, it was not a requirement to have a local partner, but being a small company, 
um, connecting and building relationships with people who already had established channels and, and networks and relationships was key. Uh, that was the reason, you know, like it, it, it my, um, the success that we had as a company had nothing to do with with my good looks or uh, you know or my knowledge. Like yes, the, the the knowledge part played a role. Certainly not not the looks, but the knowledge part played a role. But the biggest factor, Bela, hands down, was the relationships that I made. Um, there were a few key players. I'd I'd say three key people in the years that I was there that opened doors that would have been impossible for a foreigner to to open. Um, you know, I had studied the language. I was my Japanese was getting better to the point where I became fluent and was able to to give presentations in, in boardrooms and and speak with chairmen and and presidents and so forth. But being able to open those doors as a small company uh, was would have been impossible. And so having key people there who trusted me, who I trusted, um, they really were were able to create a lot of opportunity that otherwise would have been uh, challenging to uh, to see. Yeah, so I think that's a great lesson for sort of young entrepreneurs who are starting out. You know, sometimes you you need to figure out, are there hindrances or blockages to you being able to enter a certain business or, or region, geographic region, et cetera, and then sorting through, okay, maybe there are, and I need to find some partners to help me do this. Um, yeah, the thing that I would add there, too, is – uh, there's always, you know, most things that are worthwhile, you're, you're going to face some roadblocks and challenges. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you can't succeed there. So just figure out what do you need to do? How do you, what challenges are you going to, you going to have? So in this case, if we kind of work backwards and reverse engineer my situation, it was, okay, how do we build a business in Japan, um, where, where, you know, we want to be working with Japanese organizations to help them to, to reach English speaking markets. Well, the first thing is we needed that unique positioning. If we were to go in and say, uh, let's try and help Japanese companies to sell more in Japan. We would have been laughed out of the room because we don't understand the nuances and all the, the you know, the other factors that, that are at play there. But what we what we can do is to use our just even call it um, natural understanding of the English language and of English language markets and consumers and and businesses. And so that was one big um, advantage that we had. Uh, but the other was going okay. Well, we can't open those doors. We're not going to be making the cold calls to Panasonic or to Sumitomo or whoever it is. They're not going to answer uh, our, our calls or be interested in meeting with us. But if we have connections with people who already know the people there, uh, then all of a sudden those those opportunities become um, available to us. And so that's exactly what we did. It all started with, I'll never forget, Bela, before I went to Japan, I sent, it was probably like three. I can't remember if it was 13 or 21. It was a whole bunch of, of emails that I sent of different companies that I identified that I wanted to meet when I was there. Uh, and only, I think, two people responded. But those two people, one of them specifically ended up becoming a partner that we did a lot of business with. And it all started from when I got to Osaka. I went and we had a coffee at his office. Um, we just, we liked each other. We, we thought we could do something unique together. Uh, there was an advantage for his company because I was bringing something that he didn't have. And there's an advantage to our company because he had a lot that we didn't have. And so, uh, it was kind of a match made in heaven. Um, and you know, the, the rest is history. Yeah. So, uh, you also had the advantage of studying Asia as part of your university years because the sure. culture is very different, right? So, the way things get done, the way business happens, uh, things that uh, maybe uh, are very minor things to us, uh, actions that we might undertake in North America are, yeah. are, uh, less, <laughs> are less thought of uh, in, in other cultures. So talk about sort of that experience and the value of that experience and having that sort of baseline of understanding the culture there before you went and engaged there. Yeah, I mean, I think the big opportunity for for anyone is, uh, regardless of what you want to achieve, it's to to really try and master your your area, right? So whether if that's to to go and build a business in a different country, uh, don't just show up in that country and go, okay, I want to build a business. You know, try and learn the language, try and learn the culture, try and learn the, the traditions, the history, because that's going to give you, um, uh, you know, a perspective that. Uh, that other people don't have. I met many foreigners in Japan who didn't really speak the language very well, um, only ran in the circles of the other foreigners that go to the Irish bar or pub, you know, whatever it was. Um, and they'd go, they, they would oftentimes be a little bit negative towards what was happening in Japan. Uh, and to me, that was ridiculous because, you know, here you are in Japan. Why not make the most of it? Why not try to embrace and to to really, um, you know, learn what's going on? And so what I always did was was just listen very closely and, and observe. Uh, and I think whether you want to go into, you know, medical devices or you want to start a travel company or whatever it is that you want to do, if you truly commit 
to to mastering that or to have a, a deeper level of understanding that will give you a level of advantage that others don't have. Um, and I think that's really what's missing uh, from, uh, from a lot of people's arsenals these days is they have kind of broad understandings. They skim stuff online, they collect, you know, a bunch of information, but they haven't really concentrated it. And when you have deep understanding in a specific area, uh, you often can win. Yeah. So that, that's sort of at a macro level, right? So you try to understand the culture. Can we, can we dive down to a micro level and, and, and now talk about, each individual organization you deal with and each company sort of has its own culture. And I'm not just talking about in Japan now, I mean, any, any potential customer. And what's the importance of sort of understanding that culture, uh, you know, how are decisions made, et cetera, uh, as you, as you think about, uh, smaller businesses. And so now, now, you know, take it to the micro level instead of the macro level. Well, I mean, I think that's that's a it's an interesting question, and it's a big one because there's a few different parts to it. Um, you know, when I hear you uh, sharing that, Bela, what what I think about is number one, who do you actually really want to work with, uh, right? As entrepreneurs, we we often can choose who our clients are, or who we want to serve, or who we don't want to serve. And where I uh, think people get into trouble sometimes is they just they go too broad. They say, yeah, I can work with anyone, uh, and then they end up with clients uh, or customers that don't really understand, like you don't share cultures or, or values, uh, and that ends up causing a lot of problems. So I think the opportunity is to get, first of all, very clear, if you're going to build a business, you know, what kind of business do you want to have? What values are important to you? Uh, and then seek out the type of client or customer that will share those values, uh, because then you're going to have, you know, just better alignment, better understanding, uh, and a longer term, I think, more successful uh, relationship. And, yeah. But, you know, in, in addition to that, the other part is, that of course every person is unique, uh, and I see this a lot in the consulting and the coaching work that I do with uh, with other consultants. You know, part of it is uh, really on the business side, but the other part is kind of just listening. You know, it's a bit of a therapist. It's it's listening what what's going on with people in their lives, the challenges that they're facing, um, and having the the empathy to um, to really try and you know understand and and provide even just a bit of a sounding board. Uh, oftentimes, can be very helpful for people. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so after this, uh, uh, starting this company in Japan or the branch office in Japan and building that business up, uh, what, what was next along your path? Yeah. So after about six years or so in Japan, I came back to North America and, uh, my cousin Sam and I kind of went our own ways. Uh, he actually ended up going to Japan. I ended up coming out back to, uh, to Vancouver. Um, my now wife, uh, uh, at that time, my girlfriend, you know, we decided that Vancouver or North, Mar- North America would be kind of just better for, our long-term health from a mindset perspective and environment and, you know, air quality, all that kind of stuff. So we, we moved back to, to North America. Uh, and so when I did that, I started, um, a lead generation company for professional services firms. So I was working with lawyers and, um, and accounting firms, investment companies, other consulting firms, really helping them to generate leads. Uh, and so not long after that, uh, Sam actually came back from Japan just for a visit. We were at a family barbecue, uh, and I remember it was a nice sunny day. We were sitting outside, and we were talking about what we were both working on, how things were going. And we, we said, you know, it would be really cool to do something again together, but this time if we could do it online. Uh, both Sam and I have always had a real passion for travel, for seeing the world, um, and for you know the, the ability to essentially work anywhere, uh, Bela. And so we decided that we would look into – creating a, a business online, but we didn't know exactly what it would be. And we thought, why not just start sharing our experiences around building a consulting business? And so that's really where consultingsuccess.com got started, um, was by writing articles about what was working well as a, as, as a consultant, what wasn't working well, you know, the, the challenges, the quote unquote lessons learned, uh, successes and best practices. And so uh, I started to write a lot of articles, put a lot of content that led to, and this was while I was still running my other consulting business. Um, and Sam was uh, having, you know, working in his other job. But what we started to see is a lot of people were reaching out and saying, Hey, this is really great content. Um, you know, do you have a course that goes deeper into how to become a successful consultant? And we didn't because we didn't really have a monetization plan. We just thought we'd put something out there and we'd see what would happen with it. And so we created a course and that started to sell quite well. And then, you know, not long after that, we had people saying, this is a really great course, um, but how can we like work closer with you? Do you have a coaching program? Well, no, we didn't, but we thought, okay, let's start doing, offering some coaching. Um, and so 
uh, I was still running my consulting business. Uh, Sam was still working as a marketing director for an English language newspaper or a magazine in Japan. Uh, but we just we kind of saw the writing on the wall that that this consulting for consultants, this you know uh, um, space of advising and guiding others to want to achieve what we'd achieve and, you know, avoid some of the mistakes that we had made, um, was going to take off. And so we started to slowly shift more and more of our time and resources, uh, to consulting success. Uh, and now, you know, 10 years later, um, it's, it's where we focus all of our time. We've worked with hundreds of consultants personally, uh, all around the world in many different industries. We've had thousands of consultants go through, uh, our, our, uh, coaching or our, I should say our, our training programs. Um, and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So as you were telling that story, it, it really sort of made me think about this notion of opportunity recognition and, you know, when the phone rings, answering it and listening to what they Mm -hmm. say, because you listened and your customers were telling you what they wanted and they were asking you for a product or service you did not have. Right. Right. And, and I think lots of times we miss that. We're so focused on what we have, what we have in our catalog, so to speak, to sell Let's yeah. say, oh no, I don't have that, but I have this instead. Well, listen, right? right. So, well, yeah, expand on say, that. I, th- a little I think. Bit. Well, I think the, the even the greater sin in my mind is when people um, spend so much time trying to develop their plan and they want everything to be just perfect before they even launch, and then therefore they don't launch. Uh, and so, one of the biggest uh, lessons that I learned uh, early on in entrepreneurship is the importance of imperfect action, of just putting something out there. Uh, because the feedback that you get, whether, you know, what you put out there wasn't a, a home run, but maybe it was even quote unquote a, a failure, but that's a lesson learned. And so if you take that and you go, okay, well now I'm one step closer to actually, you know, arriving what does work because I've ruled out something that, that doesn't work. And so you improve upon that. Uh, and I see that consistently in the most successful people that I know, uh, and with our clients as well, it's those who take action that see that get more feedback that are then able to validate, to optimize, to improve, uh, and create higher level results. And so for anyone that's listening and going, yeah, you know, I'm, I just, I want to do something, whatever it is, but I haven't yet done it because I need more information or I need a better plan or I need, I need whatever, fill in the blank. Uh, I would encourage you just to to take the first step because you'll often get to where you want to go to a lot faster by doing that rather than holding back and just waiting for the stars to align. Yeah, that's absolutely such great advice. Uh, you know, there's this concept in entrepreneurship that we teach called uh, minimum viable product. And, it, sure. and I mean, yeah. that's a really important concept of, of, you know, not letting perfection get in the way of success. Definitely. Uh, and there's lots of entrepreneurs that I've run into that you know, are always three weeks away from the perfect product. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and they never release it. Right. And, and you can learn so much more by actually releasing the product and getting feedback from your customers than mm-hmm. you ever will by sort of, you know, you trying to figure out how to improve it. Definitely, 100%. Yeah, yeah, excellent. So uh, the other thing that you mentioned there is that uh, when you were getting ready to start this business, this consulting to consultants business, uh, you started writing articles, yes, uh, and and that sort of helps establish your credibility, right? Because particularly in today's world, the first thing people are going to do is they're going to type your name into a search engine, mm-hmm. right? Because they're trying to check you out. Who is this Definitely. person? And yep. and if and if some articles show up that you're an author of, bingo! Uh, right away, you establish yourself some credibility. So, how important is a step like that, particularly in this type of business? Well, uh, I mean, this this is really where everything got started. So to put it into context, we didn't have a business when we when we got started. Uh, we were both running our own things. And so I was running a consulting business and uh, things were going very well. But this was kind of a side project um, of putting content out there. And so the, the goal was not to monetize it. It was just to see what what really would resonate with people. Uh, I think today uh, it's it's the same, you know, the, the value of um uh, of your intellectual property, of your uh, authority building, you know, materials and content uh, is cr- is critically important because it's one way that people can actually, you know, get a sense for who you are uh, and whether or not you really, you know, jive with what what the way that they think about things. Uh, and it's a great way to demonstrate your your expertise. Uh, what people I think need to also know, though, when you talk about uh, developing and publishing content is that it doesn't always work right away. That typically if you're publishing content, you need, whether that's articles, podcasts, videos, whatever, whatever the format is, you need to be, you need to be prepared that it's going to take time. 
but if you're committed to it, if you're if your vision is for the long term, then it will end up being uh, an extremely valuable kind of tool in in your tool belt. I mean, our website consulting success continues to get traffic to to bring in uh, you know potential buyers and clients and uh, and people that we can help. Uh, many years later from content that, you know, we wrote 10 years ago or five years ago or whatever it might be. And so it's become an evergreen asset. But I see a lot of people who are looking for the quick fix, right, for that instant solution. And so they start a podcast or a video series or whatever it is. And then they go, yeah, my business is not where I want it to be yet. I guess this isn't working. And then they go and try the next trendy thing. Uh, And just my observation, Bela, has been that that's the wrong approach to business and probably the wrong approach to life is that you should get clear on what really you know you want what's meaningful for you and then go after it uh, and don't stop until you get it yeah yeah so do you have a a set of uh principles or or guiding thesis in sort of uh your business uh we do yeah i mean we actually uh sam and i record a podcast where we talk about kind of our 10 principles um, that, that we use to run our lives and, and our business. Um, and what's interesting is that those two are, are very much connected, right? We've created a business that, um, that really supports the lifestyle that, that we have. And what's been interesting about that is that as we've become more and more, um, you know, communicative or, or expressive of how we think, we start to attract more and more people who feel the exact same way. So as one example, um, generating, you know, a great income is, uh, is important, but it's not as important, uh, as having a lifestyle, uh, or spending time with, you know, with your children or, or loved ones. And that's something that we feel, but it's also something that many of our clients feel. It's like, yes, income is is important, but impact and meaning are even more important. Um, and so what we've been very focused on is getting, you know, clear, like clearly identifying what matters to us as as people, as, um, you know, in, in my case, as a, as a father of two girls, as a husband, um, you know, as um, as a coach to to many uh, clients, and just really thinking about what 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 matters. You know, what memories do I want to really create? What what do I want to be doing every day? And then making sure that my my life and that the way the business is is structured, um, that it all is connected. That it all supports each other. And so being very clear about you know who we want to work with and who we don't want to work with. Uh, being very clear about how I spend time during the day. What things I will do. What things. I won't do, uh, and just being very focused on on leverage, on doing the things that are going to have the greatest impact, and uh, removing, subtracting the things that aren't really adding much value. Yeah, that that's really great advice. In in that, I think whether you're running a business with people in it, all right, and employees, or you're you're in the type of business you're in, being clear about what you're trying to accomplish, how you're trying to accomplish, sort of what your philosophy is, I think is really really important. Because then you're attracting the types of customers who also value that. And, yeah, very, yeah, very, very true. Right? And if you're clear about it, it's, a, it's clear messaging. And there's so many businesses, particularly when they start, they're, they're so eager to get customers. They'll do almost anything. And then it all gets kind of muddled. And it's difficult to yeah. sort of figure out who you are, what are you doing, what do you represent, sort of what's your philosophy and approach. And I think that's really, really good advice for, for businesses to be really articulate and clear about that that doesn't mean it doesn't yeah yeah, it doesn't mean it doesn't change over time right it it can change over time that's absolutely fine but always be clear about it definitely i was gonna add you i mean like you should let your personality shine through you should state um you know who you want to work with what you believe in Uh, oftentimes entrepreneurs hesitate to do that because they think they might uh, lose potential customers or, or potential business, or they don't want to share their vulnerabilities because they want to appear as, you know, the ironclad bulletproof um, entrepreneur. But the reality is, and what I've seen in many studies of this and um, just in my own observations, is that the more vulnerable you are, the more that you share your personality, the more that you share what is meaningful for you, the more that you'll actually attract uh, that into your life. And uh, I think that's what we all ultimately want is to work with clients or to develop products or whatever it is to make an impact and serve communities uh, that we resonate with. And so if you're not clear about what you want, then you'll end up just getting a whole bunch of, you know, mixed 
um, kind of, you know, people and uh, just a, a really a mixed bag. But if you're very clear about what you desire uh, and you communicate that, you'll actually end up attracting a lot more of it into your life. Absolutely. And, and sort of sharing that personality and letting your personality come through is where the connection is made. That's right. It's, uh, you know, this is a relationship based business. Yeah. A lot of people think that, uh, you know, it's, and I think unfortunately, Bela, that these days uh, the, the focus is a lot more on transactions, right? It's through social media or whatever, you know, but people are just focused on how many emails can I send out? What kind of technology can I use to, to blast this message and to blast that message? And everyone's thinking about making the sale and, and it's a transaction mindset. But truly where the greatest results are and where I've seen the highest level of success comes from really focusing on, on the relationships um, and finding ways to, to create value for those that you want to serve. And if you do that, uh, you typically are able to do that uh, and see success for the long term. Yeah. And you mentioned you had a podcast. So what's the name of the podcast? The podcast is called The Consulting Success Podcast. So same as our, our brand is consultingsuccess.com and the podcast is the Consulting Success Podcast. Excellent. And uh, is it uh, uh, how many episodes and is it weekly or what's the frequency? Just tell our yeah, listeners so, a couple of things. They'll probably be interested in checking it out. For sure. Yeah. I mean, last month we had 26,000 uh, downloads. Uh, we publish typically once a week, sometimes a little bit more often. Uh, we interview successful consultants in many different industries. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, it really covers the gamut of, of uh, what people it's where people are sharing their lessons, their best practices. Um, and we're now up to about 140 or so episodes that we've, um, that we've recorded. They haven't all been released. Uh, but yeah, it's a great show continues to grow, get really good feedback. And, uh, I enjoy doing it because I mean, you know what this is all, what it's like, right? Cause yeah. we're doing it right now, but you get, it's a great opportunity to, to, uh, kind of pick the brain and, um, and learn from, uh, from others. Well, that's great. Uh, congratulations on that. I mean, uh, there's a lot Thank of you. podcasts started, but not many of them make it past 10 episodes. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So I will make sure I put the name of that, the Consulting Success Podcast, into the show notes so our listeners can uh, find it there along with uh, your website and a way to contact you. Uh, so when you, you know, there's a lot of people who sometimes uh, they want to be a consultant or sometimes because there's a change in their life, uh, some life event they decide sure. to, 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 to go and pursue consulting. So what are some of the fundamental principles that, that you would ask people to sort of think about before they take that step off the curb? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, a really important one is to, to get clear on, you know, do you truly want to, to be a consultant? And, uh, when I say that there's, there's two, um, paths that we could talk about or kind of two, two distinctions. One is, uh, saying that you're a consultant is very different from saying that you are a consulting business owner. Uh, there's the consultant who essentially is a contractor. They have maybe one or two clients. Uh, they get most of their business through, uh, you know, an agency or or even to kind of through their own network. But all their time or the vast majority of their time is being spent with just one or two clients. Uh, and yes, they're doing consulting work. They are, you know, um, actual consultants, but they don't have a business. Uh, because when when that one client or two clients stop or go away, uh, they just now have to go and look for the next quote unquote job. Uh, and so if that's the path that you want to take, then great. You should find an agency and, um, you know, or some consulting firm where you can get the business from. But just know that you don't have a business. You essentially are a contractor. Uh, and the challenge with that is that you'll always leave money on the table. You'll never be able to to earn the the full fees uh, that you you know you have the potential to if you had a business. But also that you're not you're not developing an asset. You're just doing work the same way. That you might be working in a job. Now, the other distinction or, or the other path is that you actually build a consulting business, meaning that you diversify, that you have multiple clients, uh, that you are not just spending your time doing the work and delivering the work, but you're actually working on the business. You're thinking about marketing. You're actively building your pipeline. You're actively thinking about building your intellectual property and you're building an asset. Um, and so, this is a really important distinction because some people will launch or think about, you know, creating that they have a consulting business, but really their mindset 
and the way that they're operating is just as a consultant slash contractor. But if you truly want to have a thriving and successful consulting business for the long term, you need to put on the business owner hat and you need to treat it as a business, which means think strategically, right? Work on the business, build the pipeline, do things that maybe you don't, you know, aren't the most comfortable for you to do, like go out and have conversations or reach out to people or follow up because that's what creates a real business. So that's one thing that I would say is is really important. And those who grasp uh, the importance and, and and the mindset of running a consulting business and do what's necessary are those that have great success. Whereas those who, you know, have the, the former mindset of a consultant or contractor, but try to operate a business often struggle. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. Uh, and it reminded me of how you said one of the early things you, you did was you wrote a bunch of articles, which, right, which help establish the brand, right? You're, Correct. you're laying that foundation. And, and as you mentioned, even five, 10 years later, some of those assets are still providing value to you. Correct. So, yeah. Otherwise, you're you're basically in a billable hours business, and you're selling your time by the hour. Right. And and if that's what you like, you know, great. But uh, for a lot of people, that means that you're leaving a lot of money on the table. That you're not truly creating freedom, creating freedom and flexibility. That you don't really have a have a business because ultimately, what um, you know, many people should be looking for is how do you shift from just doing the work to actually spending more time on strategy and marketing, building the brand, developing uh, IP, because that's where wealth comes from. That's where, you know, a real asset value comes from. Um, And that's where you then actually have a a much greater ability to make an impact uh, on the marketplace that you want to serve. Yeah. Excellent. So what are some of the other things that that you see in in people who want to be consultants? Uh, We talked about one just now, but what are a couple of others? Yeah, another that's really important is specialization, really getting clear on what is going to be your most profitable area of specialization. Many people um, are, you know, are concerned. Quite frankly, they're scared to specialize. They worry about all the opportunities that that they might miss. And it's understandable, Bela, because if you're, you know, coming from the corporate world, you've done a lot of different things. You've worn many different hats. There's a lot of things that you could do or could offer, a lot of different people that you could serve. But when you're just starting out, unless you're a large organization, right? You're not going to have a lot of resources. And so you need to get very focused. You need to decide where you can actually, you know, point those resources towards and then be unrelenting. Um, And so picking a specialization where you can um, benefit from leverage and from your past track record and several other criteria uh, is a really important part, especially when, when you're starting off, because it allows you to kind of, you know, plant your stake in the ground and to be known for something. Uh, it allows you to, uh, you know, to build your brand around that, to develop messaging that will really resonate and get the attention and interest of your ideal clients, and then to develop marketing. Right where a lot of people have uh, challenges, they go, "Yeah, my marketing's not doing anything for me. I'm not getting the response that I'd like." Well, it's because the messaging that they're using is too broad, it's too general, and so it doesn't actually connect with the people that you want it to connect to because it's speaking not to one type of person. It's trying to speak to five or ten different types of people. Uh, so doing that from the beginning, getting very clear on who is your ideal client, what is your specialization, then allows you to develop a message that will really resonate with those ideal clients. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So if, uh, if someone who uh, is just graduating from university uh, came up to you and they say, look, I, I know I, I want to build a consulting business, uh, what advice would you give them vis-a-vis, would you say, you know what, why don't you go work for one of the big consulting firms for a while or, or any consulting firm and sort of understand the business a little bit, learn the ropes, see what it's really like, and then start your business? Or would you say, no, go right ahead and start it now? Because that's a question... As a, a professor, I, I often get from students, right? Should I, sure. should I go work for somebody for a while uh, or should I start my business uh, right out of the box? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, we have clients that are in both camps. We have those that have been in the corporate world um, and then, you know, come uh, you know, and reached out as they want to build a consulting business. We have some that have worked for some of the, the large consulting firms who now want to go off on their own and build their own consulting business. The, the most important thing by far is do you have expertise? If you can really add value, then you can go out right away and start adding that value and making your mark in the world. Uh, but if you don't have expertise, if you've just, let's say, you know, you've graduated from college and there isn't anything that you're clear on or that you're passionate about, there's no real, you know, deep expertise that you've developed, then I would say you need to go and develop that expertise. Um, in my case, 
you know, I didn't have quote unquote formal training. I didn't work at a big consulting firm, but what I did have is from a young age, I started reading a lot about marketing and about lead generation and brand building. And I started then to, as I had conversations with different business owners, I recognized that I knew a lot about marketing that they didn't know. And so that gave me an opportunity to start, you know, taking on some clients and doing little projects. And then Sam and I started, you know, our, our business. And so that gave us more opportunity. And so I was developing that expertise kind of, you know, um, on the front lines and, uh, it was a great way to do it. It's not the only way though to do it. So the number one thing I would say is it doesn't, it's not so much about whether you go and work at a large consulting firm or go into the corporate world or start your business right away. The question you should ask is, do you have expertise? Can you add value? Can you help whoever it is that you want to serve? Can you help them to get the result that that they desire? And if you, if you can, then you can start right now. You don't need to, you know, spend more money to getting your, your masters or spend more time working for a large firm. You can start today. But if you don't have that, then you should go and develop that expertise first. Yeah, that's great advice. I'm going to borrow that. <laughs> you're, you're very welcome. <laughs> yeah, to. That was very well said. Uh, it, it really rang true with me of this notion of what's your value add in other words, right? Why is someone going to want to hire you? Right. Yeah. You got, and, and you got, that, that's what it comes down to. I mean, I, you know, Bela, I was, when I was uh, in Japan running our business, I was still uh, in my early twenties and here I was, you know, consulting for and advising uh, multi-billion dollar organizations. And many of them had no idea how young I was. And that was okay. I wasn't uh, focused on, on my age. But the reason why I was being paid handsomely and the reason why I was able to, um, to have those opportunities was because I was able to add value. And so it didn't matter about my age. It didn't matter about, you know, my background. All that mattered was, can I add value? And that's really what it, what it comes down to is, you know, if if I don't have education, but I can add value, I, I can still win. If that education helps to support and creates more value than then even better. But it's always people should always be thinking about what is the problem that I really help to solve? How do I add value? Uh, and then if there's a marketplace for that, it means that you can get off to the races. Yeah, excellent. So I know one of the common questions that I get uh, from people who are thinking about becoming a consulting or building a consulting business is about pricing. How do mm -hmm. they price their, their service uh, and sort of share your thoughts about that? Yeah. So there's many different models that people can, can use, uh, the status quo or the standard that most people default to is billing on an hourly basis, which I think in most situations is, um, is a very bad approach. Uh, it caps, you know, how much you can earn. You're essentially just trading time for dollars. Um, and it, in almost all situations, means you're going to leave a lot of money on the table. A better approach is to get focused on what I call ROI uh, pricing, or also known as you know value-based pricing, where you under identify what is the value that's going to be created, and then ensure that the client is going to receive a very positive return on their investment based on that that value um, in comparison to your fee. But there's there's other uh, approaches as well. You know, you can look at uh, a retainer-based model where you get clear on, you know, what type of involvement you're going to have with the client and then make sure that the value that they're going to receive is going to, is going to, um, you know, be exceptional for them, but your, uh, your compensation as well is going to be, um, you know, where, where you want it. Uh, and then we have other clients who, who use, uh, performance and even equity based models where they're receiving some, uh, fees for the work that they're doing, but the other portion of those fees, they're actually receiving as equity in a company, uh, or shares in a company. And that's a bit more of an advanced approach and it's not the right fit for everyone, but if executed properly can, can be very worthwhile. Um, so, you know, the, where I typically suggest that people start is just to get to shift from thinking about hours to thinking about value instead of thinking about time, right? Think about result and, and outcome. Um, and then make sure that your, the client is going to receive exceptional return on their investment and that you are also being compensated fairly for the time that you're spending. Yeah. So as you were, as you're uh, saying that it got me to thinking about this notion of, uh, if I'm, if I'm an engineer and I'm providing some consulting services or my company is, and you know, I'm designing a product, it's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, relatively easy for me to sort of calculate a return on investment, uh, sure. sort of the value of what I'm providing. Where, but if I'm doing sort of like strategy consulting or I'm doing, you know, marketing consulting, sometimes the time horizons on that are much longer mm -hmm. and it's less uh, clear as to, 
you know, what the actual value of that is. So when you think about pricing that, to me, that sort of falls in a different category. And how do you think about that? Well, it comes down to asking questions to really understand what is that potential value? Um, because, you know, pricing is part art, part science. Uh, and so if I'm in that situation and you're the buyer, I want to understand, you know, what does having the right strategy mean to you? How is that going to actually help you? What do you want to achieve? What are you concerned about right now? Maybe you have a competitor that's gaining market share. Uh, maybe you just want to continue to innovate and you know the importance of, uh, of being able to stand out and, and maintaining that advantage that you currently have. Uh, maybe, you know, the, the board uh, is, is just, you know, they're very concerned or whatever it might be. So it's really about asking the questions to understand about, you know, and identify the, the value and what that means. And then based on that, we can start to see, okay, well, you know, you want to increase your market share by 10%. Well, that would mean X amount of, of dollars. And you feel that, you know, having the strategy is going to be um, paramount to, to making that happen. And the goal is to make that happen within 18 months, right? So now we start to establish some ideas of value. It doesn't necessarily mean that if the goal is to, you know, to add $50 million in the next 18 months that I'm going to charge you know, uh, even a million dollars, but, uh, but setting kind of the, uh, the value starts to help to, um, to kind of expand the horizon where it's not just, Oh, I'm charging $250 an hour and then take 10 hours. And blah, 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 right. So it's, it's just moving the, uh, the conversation more to a focus on, on value. And when you do that, then when you start to talk about what, what your fee is, the buyer has a, a, an anchor point. They, they can understand, well, this is, uh, we're doing this, and yes, this is maybe more than I was even expecting to invest, but I'm willing to make that investment because here's, what, you know, here's the value that we're talking about. And the value may not only be about numbers and, and dollars and you know, increase in percentages. It might also be that I'm, as an executive, feeling really stressed right now or I'm getting a lot of pressure from you know, the board or my spouse or whatever it is. And so those are all value factors and getting clear on the impact and really understanding the impact of, of that whole kind of uh, ecosystem is really critical in the conversation because again, it's all connected back to, to value. Yeah. So on a typical engagement, uh, how much time do you sort of spend upfront sort of trying to figure this out exactly what you were saying yeah. Uh, before you sort of, I'll say, make the proposal and or try to close the sale, how much time is that? Yeah, it depends, right? And and the reason why it depends is because yeah, if you if your model is we'll call it a productized model, it, it means, and we have many clients that do this, where uh, you're essentially providing the same thing to to clients over and over. There, and it might be twenty percent or you know fifteen percent where there's customization. But you have an established process and a system. Uh, and so when you're doing that, you're spending very little time uh, up front because this is what you offer. And so, um, you know, it's very easy. You don't even need a proposal. You have essentially an agreement because there's not much to change in there. Whereas if you're using more of a solo independent consulting model where your focus is less on volume and much more on value, you have fewer clients, but the value of each of those clients is greater you're going to be doing a lot more customization. And so that will require more conversations typically or more time to truly understand the, you know, the situation of that buyer because the, the, the solution or the way that you're going to work with them is going to be very tailored and customized. And so that requires more time up front. But it, again, it'll depend on what model are, are you using, how are you providing your services or your products. Um, and then based on that, you'll be able to figure out, you know, how much time you have to spend up front to, to truly understand the situation of the buyer and what you're offering to them as a, as a result of that. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So, uh, we've been, uh, conversing here for almost 50 minutes, Michael. So I want to respect your time. Uh, is there anything that I should have asked you that I haven't? Is there any other things you want to share with our listeners? Well, a question that I often get on, on podcast, Bela is, you know, what is, um, if I had to identify maybe one thing that's made a, a big difference, uh, you know, what would it be? And maybe I'll offer just, uh, you know, two things that I think are, are really important here for people at all stages of, of entrepreneurship. Um, number one is this idea that I talked about before, the importance of imperfect action, of taking action, not waiting until you have all the information or everything. Uh, entrepreneurship is about conquering your fears. It's about venturing into the zone of the unknown. If you're always feeling comfortable, if everything's always easy, it means you're probably not pushing yourself or you're not challenging yourself or you're not going to realize your full potential. So that's number one. Number two is one of the greatest things that 
that I did uh, and we as a company have done over the years, but even especially at the early stages, uh, is to surround yourself with others who are playing at that next level. Uh, and so that might mean working with a mentor or with a coach or being part of a mastermind or being part of a community. Regardless of what area it is, you know, even if it's in your personal life or your fitness or around wealth creation or around your specific, you know, area of business, find others who have achieved what you want to achieve and spend more time with them, you know, read their stuff, get involved in the community or whatever it is, because as you surround yourself with with that, you'll be able to expand your mindset, expand, uh, you know, your line of sight. Uh, and I've just personally seen over the years, it's the best way to accelerate. Uh, and so, you know, we provide coaching to, to consultants, but we also invest heavily every single year in working with our own coaches and our own mentors to up our game, to help us to go to where we want to be at that next level, uh, you know, in a more direct, efficient and effective way. Yeah. Excellent. So, uh, consulting success.com is you the got it. name of the website. Uh, Michael, right. thank you very much for being on the show. This was a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate it. Bela, thank you. I enjoyed it as well. Bela, that was a really interesting interview. You know, we've seen a couple different approaches to building a small business over the last year and a half that we've been doing this podcast. And, you know, one set of uh, our guests have a very clear theme. You have to have this great idea and you pursue it with everything you've got. And then we've had this other group, and I think uh, Michael is representative of this group that looks for opportunities and jumps on them as they arise. Bela, is one of these paths better than the others? Uh, well, I think it's a close race. And I think you, you, I would say that both of those things are important, quite honestly. I don't think it's an either or proposition. I do think you want to be focused. You want to be clear about who you are and what you do. But at the same time, if a customer calls you and, and uh, plants a seed or an idea in your head or, or asks you to do something, I think you should not immediately dismiss it. You should give it some thoughtful consideration. Does it fit within the things that you want to do? And does it fit within the parameters of sort of where you're trying to take this business? Um, because this is a, a two-edged sword, right? You, I've seen a, a fair number of entrepreneurs, particularly in the early days, whenever the phone rings, they'll answer it and, and they'll say yes to whatever happens. And then you end up very scattered and very uh, not quite clear about what you and your business do. Uh, so I think, I think you want to strike a balance here. Um, uh, but I do think Michael was a good example of sort of <clears throat> when customers called, and they had sort of related things they wanted them to do, he said, sure, we can do that. Yeah, maybe an interesting way to parallel this, Bela, and I think we both teach this when we teach innovation, is there's two ways to think about innovation. One is customer-driven innovation, where you go out and listen to your customers exclusively and find out what their needs are and fill those needs. And the other is technology-driven innovation, where something from the outside of technology creates the opportunity to have products, right, that you then build and sell. And maybe that's a nice parallel to this, that, yeah, you know, there are some companies like Apple, and they don't do too much that's customer pull. It's mostly technology push. We can do this, we have this vision, and we push it into the marketplace, and they buy it, and they're really, really good at it. Then there's another whole set of companies that all they do is really explore customer needs. I mean, IDEO is the design uh, uh, consultancy that drives this with a lot of customers, and they say, ah, Let's figure out what the customer's needs are. Then let's create a product or a service that meets those needs. And maybe what we're, what we're really seeing is entrepreneurs kind of take one of these two orientations. But as with these innovative approaches, you really need to marry them together. Like it, it's like two steps, right? You need to take one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other. You need both. So, yeah, you need to have customer demand. But you also need to have a product or a service that works and that you're passionate about. And as you evolve and grow your business, it's kind of like putting one foot in front of the other. It's kind of like saying, do you need the left foot to, to walk or the right foot to walk? And you really need them both or you're going to fall flat on your face. So, you know, maybe this is the kind of the idea that really, okay, Michael started with customer needs, right? Customers asked him for certain things, whether it was a training course or a consulting business, right? And he did that. Um, but then over time, he created the material that was used to, you know, make customers happy and to, to, to make them profitable. So it might just be that you need to have both. It doesn't matter which comes first. 
but you have to have both in order to propel your business forward. You know, and, and this is a place where I think this notion of a minimum viable product is really important because that's a great way to test the market. So if, if you get an idea, whether it be an internally generated one or from a customer, uh, look to ways that you can quickly put something together, even if you call it a prototype or a beta unit, and get it out there in the hands of customers because you will learn so much more by having customers use it, customers interact with it, and customers giving you feedback than you will ever learn by continuing to study it in the laboratory. And, and I think uh, uh, you know, that sort of uh, field of thinking has, has progressed quite a bit in the last 30 years of this notion of the minimum viable product and, and putting it out there. And I think that's, a, that's another great takeaway from this conversation. Cool. Uh, here's the second point that struck me. Bela. Michael found some really interesting and creative ways to add value for his customers. Um, but even more interesting, he had some really good advice to others who want to follow in his footsteps and maybe become a consultant. What did you think of that part of your conversation? So I think this notion of uh, not being a consultant, but building a consulting business was really key to our conversation. Uh, and I thought it was interesting the way he sort of did that, right? Because if, you, if you're building a business a business sort of has a brand. It, it, has, it has enterprise value. It's sort of the conversation we had with Jeff Merritt and the rafting business uh, uh, in one of our previous episodes, right? How do, you, how do you sort of build a business that's not just about you? So if you get sick or if, if you want to leave or take a vacation, the business stops. So this notion of, of sort of building this value. And, and I think where he starts with and if, and if you remember in our conver- my conversation with him, the first, one of the first things he did is he wrote a couple of articles. He sort of establishes, that's the groundwork for establishing himself as an expert. And if you recall, our podcast with Andy Schell was very similar, right? He, he wrote articles for sailing magazines. He had a couple jobs that sort of established him in the industry. And I think Michael was doing similar things. And, and these days... That, that information, that article you write is forever captured out in the internet so people can find it. And, you know, when, when someone finds an article that you wrote uh, and that gets published by a, a magazine or a journal or, or, you know, is an op-ed piece in a newspaper, uh, that has so much more value than any piece of marketing collateral information that you may want to send your customers Right, because it has this kind of third-party validation to it. So I thought that was really good advice. So think about how do you, how do you build your expertise in the marketplace? Because that's one of the other things he said is is if you want to be a consultant, what's your value proposition? Right, it, it, you you need to have some expertise that customers are going to want, and you need to establish that expertise and build that brand. The cool thing is you can do that in your current job, right? So if you're not an entrepreneur and you want to become one, right, or you want to become a consultant, the time to start establishing that credibility is actually in your existing job, maybe with a medium size or a large company. So that's when you should be, you know, it's good for your, your company, right? Hey, I'm going to write this article, put the company's name on it and right, get our word, get our word out there. But you're also establishing your own expertise, going to conferences, trade shows, right? Working with academics like us to write papers sometimes, right? Is a neat way to do this. Sponsoring student research projects that then can be presented in different places. All these different things can come from lots of different places and you can start building that expertise in your own in your own job. If you're a young person, just maybe graduating from high school or college and looking to do something like this, that's might, might be a good reason to go get a job for, with a bigger company that can provide you with training and structure, but start getting your ideas out there. Even if it's a blog or a podcast, great, no problem, right? Um, but start establishing your credibility and, and, and putting your ideas. There's some risk there, right? If we say something stupid, Bela, which, you know, I do almost every week, right? It's out there, right? And it's not going away. Um, so there's some risk there. But I really like this idea and this advice of start building your expertise and getting your name out there. And there's just a bunch of different ways you can do that. And with the the internet, right, all the bad things and all the good things, one of the good things is, is even though there's a lot of noise, you can you can get your ideas out there to, to people who have, have shared interests. So, yeah, I love this idea about building your expertise, 
building your val- your own kind of um, uh, uh, competence and communicating that with people effectively as the first step. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, what about this, this notion of, and we talked about this question a little bit, being clear who you are and the, and the customers you serve. I thought he was, he was really good about that. In other words, oftentimes consultants, you know, you'll, you'll read, and I've come across this a fair number of times where you read someone's website and it says, well, we, I do general business consulting. You know, that's like blah. I don't know what yeah. that is. I'm shaking my head. People can't see it, you know, but I'm shaking my head. <laughs> yeah. Vigorously. You know, be be really razor focused on this, right? You know, I will help you build your supply chain between the United States and country X, <laughs> right? And yeah, that's or- the expertise I have. Yep, or improve your exposure to uh, customers age eighteen to twenty-one who are who are buying fashion online regularly, right? right? Something specific, and maybe there's two or three different areas that you focus on. That's okay, right? But state them specifically, not just I'll help you build your brand. Well, how how do you add value? So right. I love this, and Bale, I love this idea of focus as the transition point between okay, this first point that we just made about getting expertise and becoming known in the field, and right, and now you have to say okay. I'm going to take this knowledge and this expertise and this awareness, and I'm going to create this company. I'm going to create this this brand that says, this is what we do. And it's not, this is what I do. I, Mike Wasserman, do, right? It's what this company does, okay? And I'm just part of this company. Even if you're only one employee at this point, right? Make that transition from your personal expertise into the value that your organization provides. And that's the first step of really getting to what we've talked about um, a couple of times is this transition between what's the value of me as a consultant and having an enterprise that has value to somebody else. And as we've talked about in earlier podcasts, having that work-life balance. So I love this idea of focus on what the organization is as this transition point between your own personal expertise and the business that you're building, the enterprise that you're building, and its relationship with the clients. And you're just one part of the organization. Right, right. Yeah, and if you look at the the business Michael and his cousin have built, uh, you know, it's it's pretty narrowly focused, right? It's a mm-hmm. it's a consulting business that's helping for consultants. Yeah. Right, exactly. Right? That's pretty that's a pretty narrow sliver, but he's built a very nice business out of it. And he has built enterprise value by building education programs and systems, et cetera, that if he went away for a week or, you know, if he got sick for a week or if he decided to exit the business, the business continues on and it, and it then attractive for someone else to buy or run. And, and, and Michael can garner some value from that. So I think it, in many ways, he's followed his own advice on that, that, uh, uh, track for sure. And he's a, he's a great example of it. Yeah, so it's a three-step process that you just identified, Bela. It's brilliant. The first is gain some expertise individually, right? Create some value, right? Learn about a, a, a narrow segment of the business and learn it well, okay? Then that gives you the toolkit you need to be a consultant. Second, be able to focus very clearly on what that narrow slice of expertise that you're going to have and transform that Give that, take it from you and move it to your organization, right? Start a company and this is what the company's about, not what you're about. You know you're feeding the company, right? But create it. And then third, take the brand of that company and then build it. So you're starting with your own individual expertise and now you're building a consulting company, right? Rather than being a consultant, right? You're building a consulting company. So it's really just those three steps. Gain individual expertise, Create a clear value proposition about what you're offering your clients and then build a business around that that uh, it doesn't just rely on you. Yeah. Hey, Mike, that was awesome kind of summary. So what do you think? Time to wrap it up? Totally. Let's end on a high point. Excellent. All right. So uh, listeners, hopefully you agree. Maybe not. I don't know. But we're uh, always happy that you joined us in another podcasting adventure for this week. Uh, We hope you found the last 45 minutes or so interesting and thought-provoking as we did. Uh, At this point, we'd like to once again thank our sponsor, Phillips Lytle LLP. If you need good, solid advice starting, funding, or selling a business, whether you're a single-person startup or working on a nine-figure exit, Bela and I confidently recommend the attorneys at Phillips Lytle. Bela, what's the best way for listeners to get in touch with them? So I suggest our listeners reach out to Rich Honan, who is a Phillips Lytle partner. And you can reach him at area code 
1225 or at rhonan at philipslidle.com. We will, of course, have his contact information in our show notes. So thanks for joining us this week. If you have questions about what we discussed today, suggestions about future topics, or potential guests you think would be great on the show, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is bela.and.mike at gmail.com. And I'm not being sarcastic about that. We really do like to hear from you. Absolutely, we do. And hey, please hit that subscribe button on your podcasting app. We really appreciate it. And you know what? We have lots of great guests in the pipeline. So until next week, signing off from upstate New York. Have a great week, Mike. Thanks, Bela. And from over here on the other side of the Atlantic in Münster, Germany, I wish you and our listeners a great week. <laughs>